Hello and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week we heard about Andela, a company that recruits and trains software engineers from African countries and places them with top tech companies in the US. This week we hear from the co-founder of a graphic chip company that is rapidly becoming the intel of next generation computing. There's going to be all kinds of what people call IoT devices with artificial intelligence capabilities. We created an architecture that's basically scalable all the way down to these little tiny devices. That's the voice of Jensen Wang, chief executive of NVIDIA. The company has seen its stock soar over the last year as everything from virtual reality to machine learning to autonomous cars find uses for its graphics processing units, or GPUs. He spoke with the FT's Tim Bradshaw at the company's annual GPU technology conference in May. Jensen, thank you very much indeed for coming on FT Tectonic. We're at the GTC conference where we are celebrating NVIDIA's role in artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, virtual and augmented reality. But you started out playing video games as a kid and, and for a long time the main application for your graphical processing units was in video games. How do we get here from there and why is the GPU at the heart of so many of these futuristic technologies? <clears throat> yeah, it's great to be here. Let's see, 1993, we, we observed that the PC was going to be a consumer product. And at the time, it wasn't so clear. There was no sound that comes out of the PC. There was no CD-ROM. People weren't buying PCs at the home. They were using it for office automation. And we came to the conclusion that this PC was going to eventually be everywhere. And one of the things that people want to do with it is play computer games. Now, PC gaming or computer gaming market didn't exist at the time. I think Electronic Arts at the time was only 14, 15 people large or something. And now they're a giant, multi-billion dollar company. We observed that the killer app for consumer computers is going to be video games. And we observed that computer graphics was going to be very complicated to achieve because you want to achieve virtual reality. And that 3D graphics experience uh, was going to be technologically very demanding which would suggest that a new type of technology company could emerge from consumer electronics. And not to mention, we just, you know, the founders of the company, and we, we still do, love building computers. We love computer graphics. We love computer architecture. And, and so it's a perfect intersection of things that we love to do, things that we know how to do, and things that were hard to do, and, but, you know, impactful to do. But so back in the, in the 90s, did you, did you kind of have an idea of, of what the GPU would become or was that just good luck in in some ways and something that's happened just in the last few years because of advances in AI elsewhere? Well, there's plenty of luck along the way, as in all great endeavors, it's one step at a time. But the direction was generally right in the sense that we realized the work that we were doing was really about creating an alternative reality, a virtual reality. We're trying to suspend you in disbelief. And using computer graphics to do so is very, very hard. Because, you know, our eyes pick up a lot of subtle things. And so our journey towards virtual reality, at the time, it wasn't called virtual reality in the sense that you have a head mount display on. It was just virtual reality in in the sense that you feel like you're inside it. And so I think that that journey was a good journey, and it led to a lot of good technology discoveries. The traditional workhorse of any computer whether it sits in your desk or fits in your pocket, is the CPU, 
the central processing unit, which was pioneered by the likes of Intel in the 1970s. The GPU, a graphical processing unit, is a much more recent invention, dating back to the late 1990s. Whereas CPUs are good at multitasking, running a lot of different apps and services all at once, a GPU is better for very specific tasks, involving large amounts of data, such as rendering graphics in a video game. What is it about the GPU architecture that makes it more useful for deep learning and artificial intelligence processing? Why, why isn't this just a job that's being done by the standard CPU that's been at the heart of our computers for so long? Well, the mathematics that is done for creating a physical world, creating the virtual world, the mathematics involved in that is very similar, as it turns out, to the mathematics of understanding the world. Computer generation, computer graphics, and computer vision are cousins. And so we're a GPU that generates mental images. You know, people have called the brain essentially a GPU. When you're thinking, you're generating mental images. And so our processor is uniquely designed for generating images, which may be exactly the right processor for generating thought. And the mathematics appears to be quite similar. And so, so I, I think whether it was serendipity that, that allowed us to map this processor to uh, this new field called artificial intelligence or deep learning is probably plenty of that. But at the core, I think that the foundational part of it is very similar. But so the way I've tried to think about the GPU versus the CPU is the mm -hmm. CPU is a sort of general purpose device, whereas the GPU kind of goes, goes deep, if you like, on one particular process. But the division of labor there changes when you're working on AI than when you're just running Windows or something. Yeah, the, the CPU was, is general purpose because it executes computer programs one instruction at a time. And so you could take almost any program in the world and break it down into one instruction at a time. You can take almost any single task that you specify and break it down into one task at a time. And so by definition, it's general purpose because it processes instructions one at a time. We created a specialized processor that operates on functionality or programs completely in parallel. And so it's able to execute tasks completely in parallel. Now, not every task could be processed in parallel. There are some tasks that you just have to do sequentially. You know, when you, when you get from one place to another place, you have to take one step at a time. You have to do that, you know, one step sequentially to the other. But if you want to deliver pizza, for example, from Domino's to a hundred different neighborhood homes, you could do that completely in parallel. The, the point is we created an, an architecture that allows the tasks that needs to be done sequentially to be done on the CPU, the tasks that can be done parallel to be done on the GPU. And by doing so, you do sequential tasks as well as you could be on CPUs. And whenever it's possible, you do the parallel tasks incredibly efficiently on GPUs. And so the combination of the two processors is what is called accelerated computing. And this accelerated computing model has proven to be incredibly successful in scientific computing applications like fluid dynamics and molecular dynamics. And then one day we discovered that it was incredibly useful for artificial intelligence. You're used in, in many of the, the big computing clouds from Google and AWS and mm -hmm. Microsoft, uh, Facebook increasingly, but you're, you're also 
have a huge emerging business in cars. You've just signed a new deal with Toyota, I think Tesla, Audi already using your technology. You talked a little bit about the sort of computer vision applications of what you're doing. How do you see this self-driving area emerging? And, and I think you've talked something around that the cars in the future will have about $1,000 worth of silicon in them, which is a huge step up, I think, from where we are today. How do you see that emerging and how, how quickly do you see that coming mm-hmm. online? Mm-hmm. Well, the applications are similar in in the examples that you provided. In the cloud, uh, the cloud service providers are using our processors to do a new form of computing called deep learning. And that deep learning algorithm creates a piece of software that's called a neural network model. And that neural network model runs into data centers to predict search, to predict what products to recommend to you, predict uh, what movies you're likely to watch based on your previous patterns and based on what other people enjoy watching. And so it's making recommendations, which is another way of saying making predictions. Well, using that processor for the Internet companies for artificial intelligence is very similar to using the processor for self-driving cars. Because what we're trying to do is predict where the car should go and where the car should not go. Basically, it's an artificial intelligence problem. It's a super high-performance computing problem because what you need to do is to do it so fast because there's so many different things that are happening around you, and everything is happening at the same time. You're traveling down the road 100 miles an hour, and so you need to make sure that the car is able to respond very, very quickly so that it could take appropriate action fast enough. So the way to think about it is is both are artificial intelligence computing problems, both are high-performance computing problems, and we're using the same architecture for the Googles and the Amazons to do artificial intelligence in the cloud as we are doing artificial intelligence in a car. And do you need that much computing horsepower actually in the vehicle? Or, I mean, people are talking about with 5G coming online, it'll all just be kind of done in the cloud. And and there's two sort of different problems here. There's the training problem, which is how you kind of teach machines to to think about whatever problem is they're trying to Mm -hmm. solve. And then there's the the sort of deployment, which I I guess Mm -hmm. is the sort of inference side of it. Mm -hmm. Are Are you playing in both of those areas and and does every car need the sort of training type chip? Mm -hmm. The architecture for training and inferencing is very similar but it's not exactly the same. However, in our case, we're able to take our architecture and adapt it for training as well as for inferencing. In the car, we have to inference incredible speeds. And the reason for that is because the latency that goes to the cloud and back is too long. Even 100 milliseconds is too long. You know, in 100 milliseconds, your car would have traveled hundreds of feet, depending on how fast you're going. And so you need to make sure that you can inference and you can detect and and reason about what's happening around you and take the appropriate actions instantaneously. And so the latency of going to the cloud and back is too long. The predictability of the fact that you have good enough connection so that you can go to the cloud and back is unpredictable and unguaranteed. And so if you were driving in a car, you need to have complete confidence that your car is computing all the time. How do you make sure that that same kind of technology that powers a big car or a big data center where you know, there's a lot of power and resources at your disposal can also be used in smaller, more mobile applications, the, the sort of long tail of the internet of things, I guess. Is that, is that an area mm-hmm. where you see NVIDIA playing? Or- Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. 
Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Again, is that is that partly where you can you can have a tractor in a field or, or something that is connected to the cloud and that's the kind of application where the kind of big beefy computing power that you're bringing is less applicable i believe there's going to be a trillion multiple trillions of devices in the world that are going to have inference capability and they're going to have basically localized artificial intelligence capability and they don't have to be very smart they just have to maybe uh, recognize the trend of temperature in a, in a room and, and notice that uh, it's getting too warm or Maybe the crowd has moved to another part of the building and, you know, and it detects that there's a fair amount of movement and it should turn on air conditioning somewhere else in the building. So that kind of performance doesn't have to be very high. It could monitor buoys out in the ocean and detect that maybe a storm is coming. It could maybe uh, monitor every elevator in a particular building and make sure that the maintenance doesn't have to be provisioned uh, in the near future. Everything's functioning properly. There's going to be all kinds of what people call IoT devices with artificial intelligence capabilities. We created an architecture that's basically scalable all the way down to these little tiny devices. And so we have an architecture that runs in supercomputing centers and cloud data centers. We have an architecture that runs as a supercomputer in the car. We have a version that's called Jetson that allows people to put them into little tiny robots or delivery robots or drones or tractors and so on and so forth. And then what we did was we took the artificial intelligence network that we've taken a long time to craft this thing called a deep learning accelerator. Some people call it a TPU, a dedicated functionality that does deep learning, that does neural net processing. We've open sourced our deep learning accelerator so that everybody who wants to take advantage of deep learning, design their chips for all kinds of applications that we, we have no intentions and no possibility of ever being able to do. Uh, they can now download one of our deep learning accelerators, put it into their chip, and make themselves a neural network processor. Ideally, what's going to happen is that we're going to expand the, the reach of deep learning. We're going to expand the overall market for artificial intelligence, and we'll expand the market for everybody. There's been a lot of discussion in the chips industry and in the computer industry in general <clears throat> about Moore's Law mm. and where we are with that. Are we at the end of Moore's Law or, or having to find new ways around that? Does the GPU curve uh, work in the same way, and how are you navigating that problem? Yeah, the GPU is a very different approach to microprocessors. Moore's Law is the combination of two factors that were happening. One factor is that transistors were getting more and more abundant with semiconductor device shrinking. And those transistors could be used to improve how efficient sequential instruction processing can be. It's called instruction-level parallelism. And all kinds of architectural techniques were, were applied, making, making data paths wider, uh, being able to pipeline the CPU deeper, and doing all kinds of speculative execution and branch prediction, and increasing the size of the cache, and working on compilers, and all kinds of interesting new technologies that really pushed microprocessor performance, architectural performance, higher and higher every generation. Meanwhile, the other factor is called Denard scaling. Denard scaling was an observation that was made where if you were to scale the transistor size down and reduce the voltage proportionally, that you could keep the energy density per millimeter squared constant. 
And by being able to keep the amount of energy you consume consistent with the past while you increase the number of transistors and increase frequency, um, the power dissipation of the computer doesn't have to go up. In the course of about three decades, uh, we increased the performance of microprocessors by about a million times, while power consumption really remained about the same. Well, Denard scaling has now reached its limits because of semiconductor physics, and instruction-level parallelism has really reached its limit because there's just so many things you could do. And so now we're at both of these dynamics have reached the end of the road, if you will, and as a result, people say that it's called the end of Moore's Law. Um, but basically, it's about these two fundamental dynamics um, slowing down. We've taken a very, very different approach. Uh, we rely on the microprocessor, but what we're going to do is we're going to take all of the very computationally intensive parts of a program, and we're going to move it to a parallel processor we call the GPU. And so deep learning would be a perfect example of that. Artificial intelligence would be a perfect example of that. The, the mathematics that you do in your brain is done completely in parallel. All the neurons are firing in parallel. And so our GPU is kind of similar to that. All of our processors are firing in parallel, but they're connected in a very complicated and high bandwidth way. And then secondarily, by doing so uh, and working with algorithm makers and uh, developing software and optimizing across the entire stack of software, we're able to bring efficiencies to computing like people have never seen before. And so as a result, we've not only sped up parallel applications by a factor of 10 or 20 over what you could do with a microprocessor, uh, we've also been able to stay on the Moore's Law curve. As more transistors comes our way, we're able to put them to good use. That's one of the reasons why GPU-accelerated computing has really reached a tipping point, and that's why we're now reaching across so many industries that require more and more computation. NVIDIA's share price has been on absolute tear of late. You were the best performer in the S&P 500 last year, and, and just after your most recent results, we saw it jump by another 10%, which is not something that happens to $60 billion companies very often. We're also seeing huge investment coming into the artificial intelligence community in general from venture capital. There's a lot of startups that are coming out of academia. Are we still in the kind of early innings of this, or should we be worried that there is sort of AI bubble forming around? Uh, the expectations are getting ahead of where the technology can really deliver. There are two things that are happening at the same time. One of them is the computing approach that we've pioneered and that we've worked on for well over 10 years has really reached a tipping point and people now realize the wisdom of the architecture and we're seeing adoption across industries far and wide. That's one dynamic that's happening is just the validation of the computing architecture, the embrace of the computing architecture, the adoption of it all over the world. The second dynamic that's happening to us is the deep learning or the artificial intelligence revolution. Because of GPU computing, because of the first dynamic, we enabled the second dynamic to happen. We enabled the AI Big Bang to have happened because of this new computing architecture that we invented. And so, so now we're seeing these both of these dynamics happening at the same time. And how early are we? We're very early in the, in the era of AI. Uh, this is going to be a very large industry. The fact of the matter is, just the software ate the world, AI is going to eat software. AI is going to be in every single piece of software in the world, and almost everything that we do will be predictive in some way. And when people think about IoT, that's an AI problem. When people think about self-driving cars, that's an AI problem. When people think about um, internet services and consumer applications and making our homes more automated, that's an AI problem. 
when people think about robotics, that's an AI problem. So almost everything that people are talking about these days are AI problems. And that's the reason why people are so excited. In that case, there's going to be more competition coming your way. Intel is making acquisitions in this area and Qualcomm are talking about AI. I mean, you even have Apple is working on its own GPUs these days. How, how does NVIDIA stay ahead of all of those guys? Well, you mentioned a lot of different people with a lot of different approaches. But the one thing that, that everybody has observed is that the traditional computing model is not likely to be a good one for the future of AI. And that using GPUs is a great approach. Now, not everybody has access to GPUs, but and, and you know everything doesn't have to be solved with a GPU. And so a lot of people have different approaches. Our approach is really quite simple. We believe that by leveraging the multiple billions of dollars that we invest in GPUs each year to guide that investment uh, into deep learning is a fantastic way to do it because then we can we can marshal enormous resources to do so. Number two, we use one architecture to do everything we do. By taking a one architecture approach to training, to inferencing, to AI at the edge, we could maximize the investment that software developers put onto our platform. It doesn't matter which one of our computers that they pick up. It has the same capabilities and has all of the same programming approach. And so for software programmers, it's a massively, massively valuable benefit. And then thirdly, we make our computing architecture available everywhere. It's in the cloud everywhere. It's available from every data center in the world. Every computer server company offers it. It's available on the edge on Jetson. It's available in cars with DrivePX. And for everything that we don't reach, we open source the architecture so that everybody can, else can use it. And so the third part of our strategy is just simply making our computing approach available to everybody. Looking forward to more of the Big Bang in AI. And uh, thank you very much, Jensen, for taking the time to chat. Thanks a lot, Tim. We'll be back with another episode of Tectonic next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at tectonic at ft.com. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Amy Keane.